Chapter Thirteen of Juggernaut: A Veiled Record. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Juggernaut: A Veiled Record by George Carey Eggleston and Dolores Marborg. Chapter Thirteen. From Helen's Diary. A few evenings ago, some gentlemen called to see Edgar. He entertained them here in our own parlor, and something in their manner produced a great change in my way of looking at matters. I had been in a species of revolt against Edgar's way of directing me how I was to receive the different women who called upon me, how I was to be very deferential to this one, haughty to that one, and to assume an easy familiarity with the other, all according to their husband's relations to Edgar's business. He seemed to be making use of me, and the sense of being made use of in that way was degrading, especially as it involved insincerity in my manner toward these women. But when I saw how these men of wealth and influence treated Edgar, it opened my eyes to my stupidity. They recognized him in every way as a superior, a man to be heard with deference, and whose opinions were to be treated with profound respect. As I listened and watched, a mingled feeling of exultation and humiliation swept over me, exultation in the thought that this superior man loved me and had made me his wife, and shame that I had ventured, even in my own mind, to question his instructions. I resolved then that I would devote my life to the task of making myself a fit companion for him, and would never again assume to doubt anything he might say or do. There will always be things I cannot understand, of course, but that is because I am not his equal in ability and knowledge, and I can at least accept his superior judgment concerning them. One of the gentlemen was charming, a Mr. Van Dyne. His daughter, Gladys, was to call upon me the next day, and Edgar had been at great pains to impress me with the importance of receiving her in just the right way. I was to wait for her to make all the advances, and to receive them with becoming appreciation. I almost hated the girl in advance till I saw her father. Then that feeling passed away. He is a somewhat grave gentleman whose earnestness impresses me. I liked him and decided that I should like his daughter very much. After they left, Edgar stood at the window looking down into the streets below. He seemed to have forgotten me. My heart was so full of pride and a desire to be with him in everything that I was oppressed and could not speak. It seemed to me that we had come to a fork in the road and I must decide whether I should go with him or travel the other path alone. There already seemed to be a little distance between us. I felt the tears coming into my eyes, and I went to the window and touched him. He turned and looked at me with a little smile, but he looked abstracted and a little sorrowful. I could no longer endure it, and I burst into sobs. He took me at once in his arms and soothed me, but it was in a way that impressed me with the thought that I was a child to him, who was irresponsible and needed protection instead of a woman who shared his hopes and ambitions and thoughts. 
I suddenly threw my arms about him and begged him to let me help him and to make me understand all things that he strove for. The half-shadow on his face disappeared, and a strange gladness took its place. He held me very close and said solemnly, Our life, love, and ambition, failure or success, shall be mutual. We are man and wife. What can mean more? I met Miss Van Dyne the next day. I will say little of her. She is a woman I love. Strangely enough, I could not try a system of propitiation. I looked at her and thought, this is my equal. She is neither superior nor inferior to me, and she seemed to know it at once. She is calm, cold, dignified, with a high-bred trick of hand and head sweet-toned and fascinating. There is something subtle about her. I was impressed the moment she entered the room with her immaculateness, her irreproachableness of thought and feeling. She is a woman who might be greatly good or greatly wicked, I believe, though one instinctively believes her to be greatly good. There has sprung up between us a strange intimacy, no familiarity whatever, but a dignified intimacy. Edgar was at first half amazed, and then held out his arms and said, I ought to have known, though, that it would be so, that my wife did not need experience to make her prized even by the most experienced of people. I took luncheon with Miss Van Dyne yesterday. Tonight Edgar and I dined with her at Delmonico's, I am tired and in a sort of maze, but have felt impelled to write while Edgar was downstairs, smoking. I hear him coming down the corridor now. I know his step as well as his voice. This dinner tonight has affected me peculiarly. It has seemed to open to me a new life, a life that is almost as desirable as the one I have dreamed of, the life in the cottage at Thebes with my editor and his great plans and his greater love. It is a life of beauty and intelligence and luxury. It has impressed me strangely. I have a feeling that perhaps in time even I would not be out of place there, with Edgar, who would reign there. I... A man is in the doorway. He has stood watching the woman at the table who has written on unconscious of his presence for a moment. She sits with her delicate face turned half towards him, her graceful, sunny head bent over the paper, one white hand guiding her pen, the other resting on the paper. There is a magnetism, a sweetness, a rare charm and simplicity about her, and one looks at the man in the doorway and knows that they are man and wife of a truth. End of chapter 13 Recording by Roger Moline